been a blessing each week over the last few weeks to see the numbers grow and grow as more and more people are feeling um, comfortable and <clears throat> good about getting out and being together with us as a church family. As uh, our shepherd Galen said, we are certainly thankful for all of you who are watching online and worshiping with us as a part of this uh, worship service today, either live or later on in the day, we welcome you as well and are so grateful for that opportunity that God has blessed us with to connect with each other uh, when we can't exactly be together. And yet we are nonetheless. What a great, great blessing um, that is. It is uh, always a blessing to be able to see uh, the folks that haven't been uh, very involved just yet uh, coming and being a part of our assembly, and we're thankful very much for you. If this is your first time back, I know there have been uh, several who have been first time back over the last few weeks, and we're so grateful uh, to God for his blessings during this very difficult time, and as he continues to bless us uh, in the weeks and months ahead. We continue to pray for our leaders, for the leaders of our nation, for the leaders of our church, uh, for our families, and for our loved ones uh, as we go through this time of, of testing in our communities, in our homes, and in, in our nation. Um, it's wonderful to get to see uh, folks that are here, like our sister Ravina Clark is here today after suffering um, uh, greatly in a, in a car accident a while back and uh, want to continue to remember Lloyd and Rabina in our prayers. And uh, it's always uh, a great blessing for me to welcome uh, fellow preachers uh, to our assembly. Our, my friend Spencer Shaw is here today. And uh, brother, I know how sacred those Sundays off for the preacher are, so I'm thankful that you're spending that with us. Uh, what an honor. And I know he's here to celebrate a wedding this weekend, so congratulations uh, to the Ingram family and all uh, who are celebrating uh, today. And so many others, what a blessing. It is to be a part of a church family, and we've missed that feeling. We've always been together. We've always been connected it may be by phone or by text or email or through the uh, wonders of our internet and online services, but what a blessing it is to be face-to-face -face again. And as Galen shared, and as you see in your bulletin handout today and in our bulletin on our app and announcements, um, next week we'll begin uh, opening up some of our other classes. We've had a few that have been meeting the last couple of weeks. Our teenagers have been meeting, our college young adults have been meeting. We've had some uh, other adults who have gathered for fellowship before our worship assembly time at 10. And so starting next week, as you see in your bulletin, we'll have those classes beginning again on a little bit of a smaller scale, but we look forward to when we can uh, expand that to our full uh, program and offering. Uh, and we're looking forward to that, but we're looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, if you can't be with us because of the holiday weekend, then we'll look forward to you being here on the 13th. We'll have, as Galen shared, as you can see, uh, some uh, combined adult classes. The class that uh, Danny Snell has been teaching will be combined with our young married and professional class that has been meeting before the shutdown upstairs in this building. I'll be leading that class on some of uh, questions and some answers uh, for today. Uh, beginning next Sunday in the Family Life Center. I'm looking forward to that, that study. The class that Donnie Carnathan has been teaching in the chapel 
along with the class that Stan Clark and Michael Hurley were teaching in our office complex will be combined. And uh, Michael Hurley will be doing most of the teaching in that class along with uh, Donnie Carnathan. And they will be meeting right here in the auditorium at 9 o'clock. Remember, our schedule beginning next week will be our Bible classes at 9 a.m. And then our worship assembly will begin at 10 a.m. Of course, our children's classes will begin as well. And we are so ready for that. Uh, we have appreciated all of those who have participated in helping in our worship service with our children's worship and blast. And now we're ready to uh, continue to expand our children's classes and enjoy this great blessing uh, of our children's wing and children's zone that God has blessed us with. And look forward to seeing happy, smiling, singing, joyful faces of children uh, in those classes beginning this coming Sunday. We'll begin our Wednesday night classes the following Wednesday uh, after Labor Day and look forward to that as well. And you can read about that in the bulletin or on our app uh, also. It's a, I, I agree with Galen. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, God is sovereign, as Grant shared during that wonderful communion message. And this morning, as we end this, uh, this study on the Lord's Prayer, um, we end it with the closing, and we end it with God as King. Let's bow for just a moment as we begin. Father, what a blessing it is to come before you, the sovereign God, the creator of everything that's been made, the author and the source of everything that is good. Father, we praise you. We're amazed that we can come before you just as our shepherd Galen shared with that great passage from John 3.16 that we come before you as sinners, but through Jesus Christ, your beloved son, that you gave for us, we can come before you in faith that you will hear and that because of the blood of Jesus, uh, you will accept our worship. So, Father, we pray, granting you the greatest of blessings and joy of our heart that you have been with us over these last several months, and the promise, Father, that you will continue to be with us in the months ahead. We know that we're not anywhere near out of the woods yet, but, Father, we're so thankful that we have such a crowd gathered together today, and the promise, Father, that you will continue to be with us and bless us and help us, Father, to do, continue to do your mission encouraging one another and reaching out to others with the saving message of Jesus Christ. So today, Father, as we end this series on the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, we're grateful for the things that we've shared, for the things that we've learned, for the things that we've been reminded of, of your presence, that we can call you our Father, that you are there to protect us and to provide for us, and that you are also there, Father, not just as our Savior, but as our guide as well with your word, your will for us to live by. So, Father, now as we honor you as our king, remind us today, Father, that you alone are sovereign. Remind us today, Father, that you alone are worthy and that through you alone we can have that peace and that joy that leads to a fulfilled life that comes only through your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. It just might be that today's message is the perfect sermon for 2020 and for this moment 
in 2020. And I hope you don't hear that in, in an arrogant way because that's not about the presenter, it's about the message. As we see this presidential election year continue and the campaign now that the conventions are over and we're just days over two months away from election day, we, we see a lot of chaos and a lot of hurt and a lot of, of difficult stories and messages out there. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. We still have um, many people who are ill, who are contracting this disease, who are passing because of this disease, who have loved ones that are stricken because of this disease. We still are suffering economically as a nation, as a world, as communities, uh, because of the novel coronavirus that we've seen with COVID-19. Uh, we see so many things out there, um, so many things being said, conspiracy theories from all sides, um, threats and fears from all sides, um, a lot of uncertainty of what's ahead. And that's why I believe that today's message is the perfect sermon for this moment. Because it reminds us of the only one who is sovereign the only one who is stable, the only one who can save, the only one who is king. One thing I think that 2020 has reminded me of and has likely reminded you of and all of us of is that if we believe for a second, a second, that anyone or anything else is any of those things I just said and not God alone, we are sadly mistaken. And we have seen in 2020 that that is absolutely not true. Everything else is unstable and insecure and uncertain. And yet God, the sovereign God, the sovereign king, is alone worthy. And so we end this series on the Lord's Prayer with that great statement at the end of Matthew 6, verse 13. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You'll just have to forgive me for using the 1611 version of that statement, but it just is what comes to mind when I end this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This statement of praise is called a doxology. We have a song in our songbook that's called the doxology. It's one that churches have traditionally sung. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The word doxology is a combination word that simply means a word of glory, a word of praise. Two words, one meaning word, logos, and one meaning glory and praise. Um, just like that word theology is a combination word of the word and God, a word of God, a word about God. Doxology is a word of glory and praise. And that's how Jesus ends this model prayer. My question today is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever? Amen. Again, this year we have seen that tested in a way that many of us can't ever remember seeing. 
but it's been a great reminder and it continues to be a great reminder to make sure that we place our trust and our hope only in the sovereign God who alone is king. Do we really believe that? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all the other things that we need, maybe not everything that we want, but all the other things that we need will be provided for us as well. And it reminds me of the interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, just before his death. When Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world, but he was a king. In fact, he was the king. He was the real deal, as was said earlier today. And a verse that is so significant for us at all times, but maybe especially this year, in the midst of this very volatile and divisive, polarizing election. The words that Paul wrote in Philippians 3 to this church that was in a Roman colony, the city of Philippi, named for the father of Alexander the Great. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are temporary immigrants here, all of us. Uh, We are resident immigrants. We're here on this earth, not necessarily for a short time, but for a temporary time. And in that sense, we're all, everyone around the world is a temporary resident and a temporary citizen of somewhere. For most all of us gathered here today, our citizenship on the earth is in the United States of America. And we're thankful for our great nation and for the way God has blessed us, and we pray that blessing to continue. But we recognize today that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, that our ultimate king is the Lord God himself. Perhaps as you read this verse in your translation in your Bible, you noticed that it wasn't in the text, or perhaps that it was, but in some kind of brackets, or a a text, uh, a footnote, uh, included this closing of this prayer. Most English versions do not have this part of Matthew 6, 13 in the text, but reference it in a footnote as a textual variant, which means the uh, history and the manuscript evidence for this particular part of the verse is uh, questionable. Luke did not include it in his version of the passage in Luke 11, but as we've gone through this study, we've noted that uh, Luke's version and Matthew's version are not exactly the same. The longer reading is, however, included in what we call the authorized version, or more common, the King James Version. The longer reading is found in most of the later manuscript evidence, but not in the more reliable early manuscripts. The closer you get to the time these original documents were written, such as the Gospel of Matthew, what we call an autograph, we don't have any of those extant, we don't have any of those available for us to look at. They haven't been found yet. But we do have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands actually, of manuscripts, of copies, of parts of uh, these, this New Testament as we call it. And the earlier you can go back, the closer you can get to that time, then the more, obviously, the more reliable the manuscript is. It's not the only question, but it's one of the questions that help us seek and find what was inspired scripture. 
It was, however, included in the Didache, this document about church worship and, um, and church doctrine that was written right around uh, 100 uh, of the Common Era, 100 uh, years after the birth of Christ, and not very many years after his death, burial, and resurrection, and just a few years after the last document in the New Testament was written. Uh, it is included there, but it inclu- it's included in a shorter form. It includes, uh, it excludes the kingdom, for thine is the power and the glory, it says. Some say that this part was added to Matthew 6 simply for use of the church in their worship. The truth is, we're not sure if it was in Jesus' original prayer and Matthew's original gospel. Like other textual variants, such as Acts 8.37, the confession of the Ethiopian eunuch before he was baptized by Philip uh, along the way riding in his chariot. Uh, Other textual variants, such as the longer ending of of the book of Mark, Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Careful reading will cause you to note that that also is uh, a questionable ending of Mark's gospel. But like those variants and like this passage that we're looking at today, there is value in considering it, provided we are willing to acknowledge the question of authenticity and that we're willing to compare it with other teaching of Scripture. For example, Mark 16, 16. um, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be condemned. That's a great and wonderful passage that we can use. But we, I think it's smart for us to, honest, to be honest about it and to say the manuscript evidence for actually that being included in Mark's gospel is mixed. But the question is, is it consistent with other teaching of Scripture? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Sounds very much like the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and what Luke records in Luke 24. There is value in considering these passages if we're willing to acknowledge the question of authenticity and compare it with other teaching of Scripture. I tell people, don't check your brain at the door when you become a Christian, and don't check your brain at the door when you talk to others about the Bible. It doesn't help our cause at all to not acknowledge typical questions that come up in Scripture. What I have found in 40 plus years of preaching and ministry is that those those questions can all be answered and in a credible way and so we don't have to run from any of them Uh, i welcome any honest questioner and we'll be glad to discuss that with them so if we are to use this doxology in matthew 6 13 at the end of the lord's prayer the way so many have through the centuries and they have Let's first ask if there is anything in this closing doxology that contradicts biblical teaching elsewhere. And the answer is emphatically no. There is no contradiction of the rest of Scripture. In fact, just the opposite is true. This statement upholds the great biblical truth that God alone is sovereign. That to the Lord and only the Lord belong the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the message of Scripture, starting with the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so again, I ask, is there a more needed message today than this? 
Is there a more needed reminder that God alone is king, that he is the real deal, that he alone is sovereign? Just as we have shared already in our worship service this morning, God calls on us as Grant shared and and seeks to connect with us in all kinds of different ways, reaching out to us through creation, reaching out to us through his church, reaching out through to us through the experiences of life, and especially reaching out to us through his written word. And that written word affirms that God alone is sovereign, that God alone is king, that to God alone is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Is there a more needed message today than this? Is there a more needed message for our world today than this? Is there a more needed message for God's people today than this? Is there a more needed message for our West Irwin Church family today than this one right here? This reminder that in the midst of everything we're going through as individuals, as families, as communities, as a nation, as a church, that God is sovereign, that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the difficulties. It doesn't mean, as Galen shared, that as we look down that tunnel, that sometimes we've seen a locomotive coming instead of the light at the end. It just means to say that in the midst of whatever we have gone through and whatever lies ahead, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is the only true king. And so we take a look at this verse and just say a few things about it, but compare it to what others have shared in Scripture. And we first go to the Old Testament, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we read this great passage from uh, King David as he is calling out to God in a very special time. This was the time when David had called on all of the kingdom to bring in gifts, to give for the building of God's great temple. God had said, no, David, you're not the one to build it, but it'll be your son. But David took it upon himself to call on people to give and to provide the supplies and to help make the plans, and that's exactly what he did. And when David saw the incredible amount of gifts, his question was, who who am I as king, and and who are we, your people, that that we could give so, so much? David was humbled by the gifts and humbled by the blessings they represented. But he shared this word of praise, this doxology, in 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. 
King David was the most powerful person in the kingdom of Israel at the time. One of the most powerful men in the world of his day. And yet in the midst of that power and in the midst of that position, David could say this prayer. David could use these words of doxology to praise the only one who is truly the king, whose, whose possession includes all glory, all majesty, all splendor, everything in heaven and earth. David got it. He recognized that it was God alone who was sovereign. Even though he was the king, it was God who was sovereign. And he gave him praise over and over again. Words that sound so similar to the words that Jesus would share as he taught this model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We continue on and we turn to the New Testament again and to Romans chapter 11. The New Testament writers offered similar doxologies to God, and we'll just look at a few of them. Beginning with the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, I I love the way Romans is structured, and I look forward to uh, sharing a sermon series through uh, the book of Romans, and I hope to start that this coming uh, January. And it'll be a challenging thing if we let that book of Romans actually speak to us. But for 11 chapters, Paul has talked about high theology, high words about God, about his salvation, about the incredible gift of Jesus who gave himself for us while we were still sinners, Romans 5 says, and so many other things. And then in Romans 9 through 11, he he takes a moment, a long moment, to kind of work through that whole Jew and Gentile thing. You've heard me say many times that throughout the New Testament, I think, and throughout that first century, it was, a, it was a problem for the church. It was a, a real issue that was dividing people and that New Testament writers inspired by the Holy Spirit constantly commented on and, and, and helped us understand what happens when we're a diverse church. What happens when we believe different things? What happens when we have different ethnic backgrounds? Scripture deals with that, and Paul deals with that in Romans 9 through 11, and, and, and Paul is a learned guy. I mean, he had a great education uh, from the world of his day, but also from the Jewish nation of his day. He was a smart guy, and he was well-read, and he had experienced a lot of things. And as he can, goes back and forth with this question in Romans 9 through 11, I love how he ends up. He ends up by throwing up his hands and saying, yeah, that's all I got, and I don't get it. (laughs) I don't have all the answers on this one. But he says, I know the one that does. Because his point is this, it's not the Apostle Paul and his understanding that is sovereign. And as important a question as this was, and as, as seriously as the Apostle Paul struggled with it, He ends with this doxology in Romans 11, beginning at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that, that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When we begin from the perspective of acknowledging our humanness and acknowledging that not only do we not understand it all, we can't understand it all. 
And that's okay. We worship and serve a God who is sovereign, who knows more and is far more powerful, far more wise than even the most powerful and the most wise of us. The Apostle Peter carries on that same theme as he ends the book of 1 Peter. And we shared a little bit about this as Grant shared over the last week or two. But listen to what Peter says, again acknowledging that evil is real and and is in the world, but that God is sovereign and can overcome that evil. 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you haven't marked somewhere 1 Peter 5, verse 7, you ought to. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God, in all his sovereignty and all his power and all his majesty, cares for you. Verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This comes at the end of a letter that Peter is writing to people on the bottom of the social scale. Likely in modern-day Asia Minor, refugees who had had to leave Palestine because of the persecution that is talked about at the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. There are some of the ones that went everywhere preaching the world, and they got persecuted for it. They had to start over somewhere, and they were at the bottom of the social standing. And they were being persecuted, and Peter's words were not, it's going to end soon. Peter's words were, God can help you through this, and if you're going to suffer, let it be as a Christian. 1 Peter 4. He acknowledges God's greatness and sovereignty even in those difficult times. And then finally, Jude, verses 24 and 25. You say, well, Bill, what chapter? Well, just turn to Jude, and you'll... you'll, you'll figure that one out. Verses 24 and 25, this little chapter of the book of Jude, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. David offered This great doxology at 1 Chronicles 29. New Testament writers Paul and Peter and now Jude, the half-brother of the Lord, offered similar doxologies to God. And scripture ends with this great message of praise and worship that is the book of Revelation. Revelation records similar doxologies to God, but they come from a surprising source. They don't come from John. They come from the ones that John sees gathered around the throne, worshiping the eternal God, the sovereign God on the throne, worshiping the Lamb who looks as if he had been slain. And so these words in Revelation 4 that we have already sung today 
We'll begin with verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever they did that, the 24 elders bowed down and did the same. They lay their crowns before the throne. And say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then in chapter 5, the the focus shifts from the God who is sovereign, the Father God who is on the throne, to the Lamb who looks as if he had been slain. And, And there's a reason why he looks like he's been slain, because he had. He had. It wasn't this huge, powerful, strong, mighty vision. It was of the most susceptible, the most wounded, the most defeated looking animal that you could imagine. And yet it was through that seeming defeat that he conquered, that he was ultimately victorious, and that he became worthy to open up the seal so that you could read what was in this incredible scroll of the things that were about to happen. And so in Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The Lord's prayer is truly a confession. It's a confession that we believe that the kingdom and the power and the glory, that we believe that all things belong to God, that God alone is sovereign. I believe this doxology and this great model prayer not only acknowledge our need for God in all aspects of our existence, but it is also a confession of our belief in the love and care of our Creator, and a prayer and song of praise for God's sovereignty over all aspects of our world, over all aspects of my world. Yes, even in the midst of unsettling times, seemingly everywhere we look today, the kingdom, the power, and the glory still ultimately belong to our great God, the King. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Let's stand and glorify our great King together.